fantastic. You may be seated. Well, we're going to have a great morning this morning. And, um, you know, in the remaining time that we have this morning, I just want to just do a little recap of some of the things that we talked about last year. Um, but also then just in the remaining moments to go on to some new things that I want us to maybe relook at and understand throughout the next oncoming weeks. Last year, what a great year. Fabulous. And um, over about six to eight weeks, we began to look at how Jesus was always involved in people's lives. Involved in our lives, he came to where we were, he saved us, he unpacked his life in our lives. And you know, when you look at that and when you look back on that, what a wonderful, wonderful blessing it is to know Jesus this morning. But when you look through the Gospels, you see that Jesus went out onto the streets and the highways and the byways of of his time. And he was always deeply interested in people's lives. We said that Jesus never ever saw people and their problems and their issues as an inconvenience. Unlike some did. Jesus showed people amazing favor. Jesus showed people incredible care. He had amazing interest when it came to the individuals that he met. He had amazing interest and compassion when he saw the multitude, the vast multitudes of crowds of people that came to see him. He didn't treat people as a number He didn't ever treat people, you know, as an inconvenience or as an interruption to his time. But always he showed people this level of of care that was truly incredible. And that's why, you know, it's great to read the Gospels. It's great to read about Jesus and just go with, with, you know, that, that, um, that interest to see how he treated people. When you look at how Jesus treated people, it truly is amazing. He never saw them as an inconvenience. He never saw them as an interruption. He never turned anybody away. In fact, he went running towards people. He immersed his life. He immersed all of his time, all of his energy, all of his interest into helping people. And he said, I've come to do the will of my father. And the expression of God's will was to get out where the people were, to help them, to heal them, to make them whole. He invited them and they invited him because there were invitations all around him. And he cherished those invitations as people pulled on him and called on him and brought him into their lives. Wonderful things happened. And what we said was that, you know, just like Jesus went out into his world, we go out into our world every week, every day. And there are people all around us inviting us into their lives. It may be through a glance. It may be through a a, a comment. It may be through a conversation that they involve you in. What are they doing? Whether you're a young person or an old person, it's happening all around you. People are inviting you into their world to come in, to help them, to minister to them. And whether they realize they're doing it or not is irrelevant. They are doing it. They are calling on you. They are drawing on you. And one of the reasons why people are doing that to you 
and to me alike is because the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that love within us is like an aroma that we diffuse unknowingly all the time when people come into contact with it don't be surprised that you get into conversations that you never envisaged getting into don't be surprised when people start knocking on your door pulling on your life asking for help why because automatically as a result of Jesus living in you there's an aroma being diffused from you that people want to draw on and it's the very life It's the very love of Jesus coming out of you. You can't, you know, you can't put it on a table and see what it looks like. It's an invisible thing, but it's very tangible. It's very real. And you, sometimes you don't realize that it's happening. Sometimes you don't realize that it's unpacking itself out of you because it will happen in the most unusual of places in your workplace, in your homes, in other people's homes, walking down through, you know, the supermarket, doing some shopping, Jesus will minister to others through you. And you will get invitations and people will call on you because he lives in you and he wants to reach others through you. So people are inviting you and I into their lives and into their, into their situations all the time. Those invitations are around us and they're happening. And our job, our role is to be aware of that. Our job is to, is to recognize when the Holy Spirit is orchestrating things and, and arranging our lives and taking our lives on a journey to, to, to help others. It really is. It's a wonderful adventure. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us to minister to people like Jesus ministered to others. One, another thing that we looked at over those six weeks was how Jesus, when he got involved in people's lives, very often he met them at the lowest moment in their lives. You know, we, we, we looked at the paralytic man who was bound by his sin, who came to Jesus down through a roof. Just one instance amongst many hundreds of instances in the gospel. Just one instance. One just, you know, unusual event. One hour in Jesus' life, in, in his ministry. You know, he's teaching in a home and there's lots of religious people there and they're in a very sort of strict understanding as to what should happen and then suddenly these four guys break open the roof and they let down this man and it's the lowest moment of his life but he meets Jesus and Jesus turns his lowest moment into his highest moment you can you know if you just go uh, through the gospels just looking at how Jesus takes people from the lowest moment and transforms their lowest moment into the highest moment of life, you'll be amazed. He took that man and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Those sins that that man had committed had put him on his bed, had paralyzed him, and nobody could do anything for him. And yet he meets Jesus 
at the lowest moment of his life and suddenly Jesus forgives him and there's huge complaints from the people that wanted the man to stay on that bed, that wanted the man to be punished for his sins. But Jesus, unlike any other, unafraid you know, of, of their criticism, unafraid of, of their comments, unafraid of the conflict that, that would you know, would result as a result of what he was going to do. He says, son, not only are your sins forgiven, you're coming off that bed, rise up and walk. And suddenly the guy jumps on his feet. What an amazing, what an amazing expression of the power of God's grace to change a life, not only internally and spiritually by offering it forgiveness, but physically transforming it and healing it. The guy jumps up off his stretcher and he starts walking running round you know what 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 an amazing visual of what the love of god will do you see it's not just intellectual friends it's not just intellectual it's dynamic and it's physical and it is experiential salvation god's grace is not just something that we read about you know, to fill our minds with knowledge. Salvation has powerful, practical expression. You experience it. You feel it. I love feeling God. Where's all the feelings gone? I tell you now, God is an emotional God. He doesn't want to just communicate to you intellectually to make you some kind of boffin. God responds to us emotionally and he connects with us in the deepest parts of our being. He really does. And he heals the guy and suddenly his lowest moment becomes his highest moment. Maybe today you you look back at your past and you know it's full of low moments. And low moments that you cannot change, that you cannot get beyond. But we have our hope in Jesus. And when he comes into the lowest moments of our lives, suddenly How he does it, we don't know. How he does it and what he does transforms those lowest of moments and takes us to the highest heights of his grace and of his life. That's why he's such a wonderful savior. That's why there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. There's only one that we can praise, friends, because no other human being can do what Jesus does. No other human being can do that nobody but Jesus there's nobody like him whoa there's nobody like Jesus there's absolutely nobody like him there really isn't so he comes into the the lowest moments of our lives and and he he takes us on and those lowest moments become our highest moments of life why because we've met Jesus Why? Because Jesus transforms us and changes us and gives us a meaning and a reason to live under his love and under his care. And this is is biblical. This is what he does. This is what happens. We all met Jesus at the lowest moment of our lives. That encounter, that initial, that initial encounter. Uh, moment where he met us, where we encountered him, where he came into our lives, was the lowest moment of our lives. But suddenly on meeting him, it becomes the highest moment of our lives. And I want to show you that from God's word this morning. 
It's biblical. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 2 has this amazing picture. And he shares it with the church. And he talks about the lowest moment of, of all of our lives. He says, he opens that, that amazing chapter in Ephesians chapter 2 by saying this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's verse 4. But verse 1 says this. We're going to get to verse 4 in a minute. Verse 1 says, you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You can't get any lower than that. You really can't. You cannot get any lower than being dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But suddenly, Paul, after seeing that terrible picture of the state that all of us was in, suddenly he sees another picture uh, emerging. He sees God in Christ, full of mercy, full of love, full of grace, running towards us and quickening us and making us alive. You see, when God comes into the lowest moments, the lowest of the lowest moments of our lives, our death, we don't stay in that dead, decaying state. Suddenly, we're alive. Suddenly, we're renewed spiritually. Suddenly, we're awake. And we have a relationship with Him. And Paul sees this. Paul sees this amazing picture. He sees God's love. He sees the, the, the unfurling of God's mercy and God's care coming to rescue us in Christ Jesus. And as a result of that, it's impossible for us to stay in that dead state. We're suddenly alive. We're alive. And we're saved and we're renewed. Now last week we spoke and we we picked up on a phrase from Philippians chapter 3 where Paul said, This one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind me, I press on for all of the things that are before me. And he, he, he identifies the prize that's before him, the prize of Christ. And his emphasis is to forget what's behind him. In Ephesians 2, as you go down through the chapter, he tells them to remember. So is the man confused? He's telling the Philippian church to forget what's behind. But in Ephesians chapter 2, he's telling them to remember. What is he doing? What is he saying? What is he trying to bring about? Well, he's saying this. He's saying, listen, remember from where you've came. Remember where Christ found you. Remember the terrible condition that you were in. Remember the transformation. Remember the encounter. Remember what God's love and God's mercy has done in your life. Never forget it. Don't mourn over it. Rejoice in the fact that you were once dead, but now you're alive. Rejoice in the fact that, that yes, you were foreigners. You were aliens. He uses all of this language. You were estranged from the love of God. But God showed the initiative. God came to you. God ran to you when you were running away from him. When you were at your lowest moment. When nobody wanted anything to do with you. It was God that came to you in Christ. Lavished his love on you. Lavished unmeasurable grace to you. It's by grace you're saved. Through faith. Not of yourselves. Not of your good works. You didn't have any. You were dead. You had an awful record. It's God. 
that saved you by amazing favor. And this transformation, this wonder, this miracle that's occurred has occurred as a result of his initiative. Him coming into your lowest moment and making it your highest moment. Incredible. And God, you see in that chapter, through Paul, talks about how he takes us from the lowest. He takes us from the lowest of the low. And he he takes us up and up and up and he takes us to the highest of the high. He really does. Because in this chapter, Paul says this. He says, we are seated. He doesn't say, we are seated below Christ Jesus. I mean, that would be wonderful. That would be amazing. Just to get beyond the lowest moment of our lives and to be elevated a little bit above that. Even just to be elevated under Christ would be amazing, would be awesome, would be off the chart, would be unimaginable. Just to be, you know, elevated just below him. But no, Paul goes far beyond that. Paul says something that's incredible. Paul says something that we would never dare say unless God gave it to that man. We would never dare imagine it. But But Paul says that we weren't elevated, you know, just to below Christ. We were elevated beside Christ. Because in this chapter, Paul says, you are seated with Christ, alongside Christ, beside Christ, in heavenly places. I tell you something now, when you start to think about the grace of God and the measure of salvation that's been given to you and me, not on the basis of our conduct, Not on the basis of whether we are morally good. It's impossible for any human being to be morally good or have anything within themselves to offer God. In this chapter, Paul says, by nature you were children of wrath. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve the judgment of God. You deserve to be damned to hell. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. By nature, you're children of wrath. But the unthinkable happens. Who would have thought that Jesus, in all of his perfection and all of his wonder, would ever come into the stench of death? Would ever travel to where we were, into the sewers of our lives? And that's to say it politely, friends. That's to say it nicely. Into the sewer of our lives, that's to dress it up this morning. Because it was far more unimaginable for God than that. And yet because of his love. Because of his grace. Because of his kindness. And his generosity. He couldn't resist it. To get to us. And in getting to us. He elevates us to a place. Besides him. Alongside him. He's not ashamed, the Bible says, to call us friends. He's not ashamed to call us sons and daughters. That's the God that we serve. It really is. When you look at Ephesians chapter 2, you see that Paul is on a journey. Paul understands things that are wonderful. And he, he, he's beginning to, 
to, to move them forward in their thinking. And he's saying, listen, this isn't just, just about saving you either. God wants to save you. God has saved you. God has taken you from darkness. But God is about bringing you home, you see. And this morning, what we have here is we have a home. This is home. We've been brought home. We've been brought into this place together from many different parts, some from different lands. And it's not necessarily just been through our own decision-making process. It's not just been designed through what we want to do and where we want to go. God has called us into this place. God has brought us into his family. Let me read to you from verse 19. Paul has told us where we were in, in verse 1. He's told us the state that we were in. But after the, the, the immense encounter with God's love, after the, his handiwork in this, in this verse, in this chapter, sorry, he also says that you are the workmanship of God. You are God's masterpiece. It's full of so many wonderful truths. But his intention is to bring us here. The main object of the chapter is to show us where we've been. But, but to, 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 to show us where God has brought us to. And he says in Ephesians 2 verse 19, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household or the home of God. You are members of the household of God. And our local church, this local church, it's a wonderful place because it is our home. It is our home. It's where we lay our roots down. This is our family. And over the coming weeks, I want us to look and think about what home is. I want us to, to think about from the Bible as we see it, what are the ingredients that make a great home? We have a great home here. This home has been here for many years now. And we've grown to love it and we've grown to be blessed by it. But what are the ingredients that makes a great home? You know, Daniel said to me this morning, we, we were just out the back. And he said, Dad, he said, I love this church. I said, oh, and I, you know, it was sort of a statement out of the blue. I said, wow, Daniel, that's great. You love this church. Why do you... Why do you love this church, Daniel? I asked him. I was interested. I wanted to know where that statement came from and how he arrived at using that language. And he said, well, he said, I love this church because of Dean Stone. How about that? I said, do you? You love this church because of Dean Stone? He said, yeah. I said, that's fantastic, Daniel. He said, I love this church because of Josh Wood. There you go, Josh. Amidst other things. But that got me thinking. You know, he didn't say, I love this church because it's got nice color lights. He didn't, and that's good. Please, that's great we got lights. 
Fantastic. He didn't say, I love this church because, you know, there's an amazing preacher on this morning. With nice big bushy eyebrows. And a beautifully crafted nose. And a lovely pair of ears. And beautiful buck teeth. No, he didn't, he didn't say that. No, he identified his love with people that are in his life, you see. And as I've watched my children, as, as I've experienced, me and Faye have experienced just being a part of this home. You know, there's so much blessing in being a part of God's household. In being a part of God's home. Because together as a family, we are all interweaved and joined together in life. That this is not just, you know, a service, a short service that we have on a Sunday. It is that. We thank God for it. It's needful. But like I said this morning, do you know what? God doesn't just want us to come into his home to receive his care and, and to, you know, for us to have a, a relationship with him. Yes, that is a priority. But actually, God wants us to be in his home so that we can be joined together. So that we can be together as a family. That's amazing. You know, one of the statements that Jesus makes in Matthew 16, which is quite incredible. He talks about the church. And he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it I will build my church and the gates of hell will not oppose it or bring it down remember he speaking to his disciples he asked them a question and he said who do men say that I am who do people think that I'm like and some of his disciples said well they're saying you're like John the Baptist that crazy bloke that run up and down in the wilderness and you know told people off all the time some say you like him. Other people say you like Elijah. And then Peter suddenly, by the Holy Spirit, gets this wonderful understanding as to who Jesus was that nobody else had. He said, actually, you're the Christ. The Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you've not, you've not received this through any other human being flesh and blood has not taught you this you've received this understanding from heaven from God and then Jesus in response to that says and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it that word church is the is the Greek word ecclesia and it simply means this to be called out to be called out. And as we've read from Ephesians 2 this morning, where, and, and as we've referred to that, what, what you see happening in Ephesians 2 is God through his mercy, through his love, through his care, through his initiative of coming into our lowest moment. What you see happening is God calling us out. You and I both remember the time where we were called out by God. It was a personal, intimate individual invitation from him you connected with him and he called you out of death of sin of where you were 
But not only did he call you out. This word ecclesia that Jesus uses in Matthew 16 for the word church is not only to be called out. It's wonderful to be called out. It's wonderful to be saved. It's wonderful to be a recipient of this wonderful grace. But he also not only calls you out, he calls you. This is the other meaning of it. He calls you towards. He calls you towards others. And if you look around this room, we may just look and think, well, you know, this is just people gathering together in a room. No, it's not. You look around this room today, and it's a visual expression of something supernatural that's been operating, that's been active, because God has brought us together. God has called us together, and it's called his family, it's called his church, it's called his household, it's called his body, it's called his building, it's called his bride. That's what we are. And over the next weeks, we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at what it means to be God's house, what it means to be God's home. You know, we all, we all need a home. We really do. I remember, you know, many years ago now when I was a teenager and we were living in Northern Ireland. We'd left Yorkshire uh, from, from uh, we'd, we'd lived there for about 10 years and remember traveling to Northern Ireland and thinking, oh man, I'm going to miss all my friends and all of, you know, all of the action was back in Yorkshire and we were moving to Ireland, Northern Ireland and oh, the first day I remember getting there and seeing all of these soldiers and all of these armored police cars and loads of stuff which, you know, for a teenager isn't really appealing it really isn't so, um, you know, I went through that and uh, after about six months I said to my mum and dad I said, mum, I want to go back and visit my friends in Yorkshire and they were just open to that they said look if you really because they could see I was struggling to make new friends and all of the stuff that happens when you go to another part of the country and uh, I just said look please I just want to go back visit my friends for two weeks and I thought I was up for that so they said yeah we you can arrange it arrange with your friends go and stay back in Yorkshire for two weeks then you can come back so I left home. I remember arranging the trip. I remember going over on the ferry and then down on the train. And I meet my friends. Oh, man. And we are so excited. We are so excited to be reunited. And I, I get to their home. And, you know, we've got all of these things we're going to do together. And it's like good old times. And then the night comes. And I'm in another home. I've left my home that I thought I could leave no problem and I'm living in another home and suddenly I'm aware of these feelings and these emotions and this cry within me for my home in Ireland everything seems right everything seems good I'm back where I wanted to be with all of my old friends but it's not home I'm in somebody else's home and suddenly there was a homesickness. Well, you know, we're all aware of that. Every, anybody ever been homesick? Yeah. <laughs> We've all been homesick. It is awful. It's an awful feeling. It's an awful 
emotion. And I'm homesick. And I'm in my bedroom. In my, oh, sorry, in my friend's bedroom. On my own and I'm crying. Oh, I'm crying. I'm having a good cry. I still cry. And um, I just remember thinking, man, this home is so different. It doesn't have the values that my mum and dad have. It doesn't have the care and the interest. It doesn't have the involvement that I'm used to. Things are different. It's foreign. I don't fit in here. I feel like, like I'm out of place. And even though I've got my friends, and even though I've got the things that I, I desire, it's just not right. And I ring my dad up, and I'm crying on the phone. I said, oh, dad, I'm really missing home. Please, what do I do? He said, son, like a good dad. He said, son, we'll sort it out. He rang a few friends that he had in, in Yorkshire. The next day, I was on the train... I'd spoken, my dad had spoken to the people there, the parents there that I was staying with. I'm on the train, and by the end of the night, I'm back home. You see, home, home is a very special place. There's something about being a part of God's home. And over these next weeks, I want us to discover what that home is about. That home has a wonderful welcome attached to it. You know, you may have been in this home for many years, but the welcome is extended to people who have been here just a few moments, as much as it, as it is to those that have been here for years. Welcome and care. I love one of the statements that Hillsong have right at the front of their website and in their buildings, and it's this, welcome home welcome home and when we are receiving invites to get into people's lives in our world isn't it wonderful to have a place like this where we can invite them to you know i i i'm excited when i'm able to invite people into this place i really am for this reason firstly because I'm trusting that Jesus is going to meet them in this place as we meet together, as we praise, as we read the word together. I'm believing for that. But also, I'm excited, I'm excited about the people, you, that they're going to meet. Because we have amazing people in this place. If we were to go around the room and understand collectively just the skill level the intelligence in this room alone. The skills, the people skills, the management skills, the business skills, the educational skills. I doubt there would be a place in this city that would be able to match this place, this moment where the church meets every Sunday. And what we have to do is realize it, unpack it, use it. There's no place on the earth like the church of God because it's filled with a variety of people that God brings together, that God calls out and joins and knits and, and, and brings together. There's no place like the church of God. And we'll see that 
And we'll think about that over the next weeks. We really will. But aren't you glad this morning? This is just a little introduction this morning where we're just looking and thinking about this as our home. There is no place like home. There really isn't. I'm going to ask James and the musicians to come. There is no place. There is no place like home. Do you know, I'm really glad that to be a father and to be a dad and to be a husband. But do you know, Faye and I realize that, yeah, we could bring our children up on our own. We could bring our children up just through our care and through our words of encouragement and and through what we do. But isn't it great to actually be a part of a family where our children, and we have seen this happen, where our children are exposed to people that can influence them, shape them, speak good things into them. Think about the creative ministry, you know, that, that they're involved in. Wow! If we hadn't have been in this place, if this place wasn't our home, then they wouldn't have that in their lives. They flourished as a result of what James and Sally and and Bev and Carol have invested into them. They flourished as a result of that. Their little personalities have grown and come alive because other people have given their time and dedicated their lives sacrificially to them. Amazing. Just a few weeks ago, Glyn Renshaw. Where's Glyn? Glyn at the back. You know, Glyn was just, well, it's not, not a few weeks ago, actually over maybe six or eight months. Glyn has just been showing interest in Daniel. Daniel. And just talking to him and being there. And um, this is just one little thing that will have a big effect on this on my son's life that starts a, a process of thinking that he will use as a tool, I believe, in his future. Glenn, you know, Daniel was talking about some money that he'd got for his birthday. And um, he said, oh, Glenn, I'm going to spend it on this and I'm going to spend it on that and I want to spend it on this. The excitement of a child is wonderful. And then Glenn just said to him, he said, well, Daniel... That's great. You've got all of these exciting plans for your money and you, you want to spend it here, there. And then Daniel's a bit undecided and a bit double-minded and he's wondering what, what to choose because there's some big costly presents on the list. And Glenn just says to him, he said, well, Daniel, why don't you just write a little list and just sit with that list for maybe a week or two or three and just review that list through the days and order it in in a list of priorities and then maybe Daniel you'll be able to tick on your list what you really want and tick and, and sort of cross off your list what you don't want do you know that had a profound effect on my son it was a seed into his mind how did it come it didn't come through me and Faye it came through a family of people showing interest in another family, in a child, in a moment, putting a skill set into him that he will go down through life. And he said, he said to us numerous times, well, do you know what? I haven't decided yet, but I'm going to make my list 
And I'm going to think about my list. You see, already it's become a process. Already it's becoming a way of thinking. Already it's become a help. This morning we are his family. And I encourage you, this morning, do you know, you may feel on the fringe of this family. Time in my life where I felt on the fringe of this family. But people brought me in close. We don't want anybody to feel on the fringe or on the outskirts of this family. This is a family. We're all at the same table. We're all receiving of His grace. We're all receiving unprecedented care, unconditional love. Every single person in this place has equal place in this house. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you've come to encourage us, come to instruct us, come to just show us again what we're a part of. Lord, we thank you for coming into the lowest moment of our lives. But not leaving us there. Not talking to us condescendingly or condemningly. Lord, you didn't rub our nose in the stuff that you found us in. But your love overwhelmed us. Your grace overwhelmed us and transformed us and brought us home. Lord, we thank you today for home. We thank you for one another. Lord, we thank you that you've joined our hearts. You've knit our hearts together. And as we go through this year, as we're invited into people's lives, Lord, we pray gently and sensitively we would be able to invite them home we'd be able to invite them into this place and Lord we pray throughout this year again new things have been happening in this place where Lord we've been connecting where, we, where we've been revaluing things and reopening things where we can get deeper in friendship in relationship and in family together Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name, we ask it now for your glory. We raise our voice to you.